and welcome to another edition of the Screen Nerds Podcast. My name's Michael Burgett, and thanks for joining me for this rescreen episode of Spider-Man, the 2002 film starring Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, Willem Dafoe, and directed by Sam Raimi. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, and if you are, thanks for joining me, and uh, if you get an opportunity, please rate and view and subscribe. Uh, to the podcast uh, from your favorite uh, podcast catcher of choice. Uh, but rescreen episodes are where I go back and watch a film that I love, one of my favorite films, uh, share some of my thoughts and memories of when I first saw the film, and then give some thoughts uh, as to what I thought after watching it this latest time. And so uh, I thought I would go back and rewatch it as uh, as of... This month uh, in May, uh, it is the 20-year anniversary of the release of the first Spider-Man film. And uh, I remember the first time that I actually saw it was in the theater. It was uh, the month of May 2002, and I was uh, just a couple weeks from graduating from college. So it was super exciting. It was uh, getting close to graduation time, and I was excited to see this film because I grew up reading comics and, and loving Spider-Man and loved the 90s cartoon. And so I was super excited to see this film and uh, went to the theater uh, in the town where I went to college in. Uh, it was a fairly new theater. It had only been open for just a, a little while, but uh, it, was, uh, it was where I got to see Spider-Man. And just seeing it on the big screen, it was just tremendous. And it was so cool and uh, loved the film it uh it was just you know seeing everything like like it was on the big screen there nothing like i'd seen before with uh the special effects and the cgi and uh being able to bring spider-man to the big screen like that it was just tremendous and uh it's a film that uh I enjoy, I do like Spider-Man 2 better, and that will be another film at some point. Uh, we'll do a rescreen episode, but this one uh, was definitely one that uh, my senior year of college, it was uh, it was great to, to go see it on the big screen, and uh, one that uh, I even still have to this day, the, uh, the DVD version uh, that I purchased right after it released, where it came in that big, huge case, uh, and... So I still have it in my collection because it's a film that I really enjoy. And so going back and rewatching the film again, uh, I was interested because uh, obviously uh, Tobey Maguire to me is, is my Spider-Man. Uh, I know some people it's Andrew Garfield and some people it's now Tom Holland. Uh, so, But it was really cool uh, on in Spider-Man No Way Home to be able to see Tobey Maguire again as Spider-Man because you know, these films that he was in as Spider-Man really were the ones that resonated with me the most uh, as Spider-Man because it just he felt like Spider-Man and he felt like Peter Parker. And uh, so it was cool to, to see that again and it was, it was really cool to go back and rewatch this film. And, and as I was re-watching uh, re this film, uh, there were several things that I was wondering about because it had been several years since I've seen it last and a couple of questions that came to my mind was does this movie hold up how much of it has aged 
how much of it is timeless and what were some of the things that uh, were surprising to me to see that I had noticed before or I'd forgotten about. And right off the bat, the opening credit sequence, it felt very 90s, like it was a 90s CGI. Uh, and there, that's one thing that I definitely noticed about this film as I was watching it was there were a lot of either references or homages or things that reminded me of other films or genres that uh, I didn't maybe necessarily notice at the time. Uh, but looking back now and, and rewatching again, I definitely noticed that. And the, the uh, opening credit sequence reminded me of like a little bit like the nineties TV show, the, the cartoon with how it was uh, with the, the way the introductions and the names like that, it felt like a little bit of that. There was the uh, opening bus sequence when Peter's trying to catch the bus and then gets on the bus. It reminded me of Forrest Gump <laughs> of all films, uh, when, especially when he's trying to find a seat and they're all like seats taken. You can't sit down like that. That sequence reminded me of the bus sequence where Forrest is wanting to find a seat and can't find a seat. And so that, that stuck out to me. Uh, another thing that reminded me of, a, uh, of an influence was, uh, I don't know if it's what Sam Raimi was going for, or he pulled from or thought about, but the 89 Batman film, I, I definitely got several times where I got that vibe of, feeling that there was some influence or homages or just uh, references to it. Uh, the scenes in Oscorp's factory, especially the exterior shots, looked very much something out of Gotham City, uh, you know, Tim Burton Batman. Uh, the end fight sequence with uh, Goblin and Spider-Man felt like the fight sequence in... Uh, uh, with the Joker and Batman in the 89 version. Uh, and even just uh, other films like The Matrix, obviously, with the bullet time uh, sequence. You you had that influence there uh, uh, in one of the fights with Goblin and Spider-Man. And then also, even of all films, Batman Forever, with the choice that... Goblin puts to Spider-Man between choosing between Mary Jane and the uh, group of kids that were trapped in the the uh, trolley uh, and reminded me so much of the Batman Forever uh, sequence with Riddler making Batman choose between Robin and uh, Nicole Kidman's character and so just there were several f times like that where I was just reminded of films in the past. And I don't know if it was, again, something that Raimi pulled from at the time or even thought about. But it just uh, those sequences just stuck out to me and just reminded me of those. Uh, some of the things like the actors that I remember, obviously, you know, Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane, Willem Dafoe. Uh, as Harry Osborn, James Franco, uh, as you know, uh, well, as James Franco as Harry Osborn, uh, Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn, but to see some 
actors uh, that I had forgotten about that were in this film, like Joe Manganiello. Like I had completely forgotten that he was Flash Thompson. Uh, you know, to to see him here in this film and to know that he goes on to be a comic book villain uh, as Slade Wilson. Uh, in the DCEU is just striking, especially because he looks so very young. And I think this is one of his first uh, credits uh, in film is in this this Spider-Man film. And so that's kind of cool to see him. Uh, Elizabeth Banks as uh, Betty Brant in uh, working at the Daily Bugle uh, was cool. I remember that she was in it, but it was just a good refresher. Uh, but seeing Octavia Spencer... Uh, the you know award-winning actress. She has a role in this film. If if you don't remember, she uh, is uh, the person who is taking in the people that are getting ready to fight Bonesaw. Uh, she's checking them in, and so that was an unexpected, cool little uh, Easter egg there that didn't expect to see her in the film, and, and she was there. And so uh, I like those little things and speaking of Bonesaw uh, as a huge wrestling fan at the time I loved seeing Macho Man Randy Savage in the film uh, you know watching it again it reminded me how much I you know miss him because he was uh, as a kid he was one of my favorite wrestlers growing up and uh, you know, he passed away in 2011 and uh, for a lot of people uh that are non-wrestling fans. He either is known for the Slim Jim commercials or for uh, this brief role uh, in Spider-Man as, as Bonesaw. Uh, and so it's it was cool to, to re-watch those things. And uh, one of the things, even to this day, I still quote lines even as <laughs> with a really bad uh, Randy Savage impression of uh, the you will, you're going nowhere and I've got you for three minutes. Uh, so it's like those two lines uh, constantly will just randomly quote uh, during my day or during during whatever's going on. So it was good to rewatch that again and, and be mindful of that. There were some things that kind of, like I said, stood out to me, uh, good and bad. Uh, one of the very few bad things that kind of stood out to me was just early on in the film, whenever... Uh, Peter had gotten bit uh, and he recovered and he was going about testing his powers. There were several scenes where you would see where the bite is still prevalent. And then you see other scenes where it looks like it's completely healed. And so that uh, I'd never noticed that before. And that just kind of, I don't know, it, it kind of stood out to me uh, as one of the things that just was kind of weird. Um, the CGI, I was kind of impressed by how good it was as far as you know 20 years later there are several sequences like you can completely tell uh, that it's cgi uh and the way that it differentiates between what's real and what's computer generated uh but the for the most part even those shots hold up pretty well today they were only maybe a few times where it was like it, it looked kind of weird or just kind of off. Uh, but for the most part, it, they held up pretty well. And I was, I was kind of impressed by it. I thought that that was very well done as far as how 
they made Spider-Man look and jump and fight and, and a lot of those sequences and how they made, you know, made Spider-Man come to life. And so the, I think that, you know, in 2002, it was groundbreaking uh, CGI. And, and now it's like, uh, you know, you, you can tell the the generational differences between CGI then and CGI now. But even so, I think that they, it holds up pretty well uh, how, you know, how far it's come, but still you, you can tell that they did a good job with it. Uh, with this film, I think that for me, uh, they're definitely iconic figures and iconic versions of the Spider-Man uh, universe. I definitely prefer this version of MJ. Uh, I, I think Kirsten Dunst, to me, is MJ, is Mary Jane Watson. And I think the storyline, too, almost feels more grounded today than it did even 20 years ago with uh, how there was the fighting with her parents, or especially with her dad, and just having to deal with uh, essentially coming out of a broken family. Um I think that that almost speaks more today than it did 20 years ago. And even then it was uh, pretty relevant. Uh, but I think that that part especially still is relevant today. So I, I, I really enjoy that aspect of storytelling with her. Obviously Cliff Robertson as uncle Ben is the uncle Ben. I don't, I, I honestly don't think that, there's been anybody that's come close to that. Obviously in the MCU, there is no uncle Ben. Um, and though I liked, uh, the way that it was portrayed in Andrew Garfield's version, it really didn't feel like uncle Ben. Uh, but Cliff Robertson really makes you feel like uncle Ben because he, he kind of personifies the, the comic book and really watching this film again, it feels very much like a comic book come to life. Like they almost literally took pages from the comic book and just directly translated it to the screen. And it's almost refreshing in a way because I feel like with the MCU, we've gotten so much of uh, adaptations and it's not really a direct translation or even uh a somewhat translation is almost like just a very different version, which is good in one sense, but I almost feel like that there is that loss of just the, the comic bookiness for lack of a better term. And I feel like with this film, there really is that comic book feel. You have the jokes, you have the, uh, the action, you have the, everything that just feels like a comic book. Uh, it feels like this film really did translate that pretty well. And, and it almost just kind of stands out in that sense that it it is so different than, like I said, what you see with the MCU today. And so it's, it's kind of refreshing to go back and watch a film that's uh, pre-MCU uh, and is, you know, on its own, essentially, uh, because... Uh, when you think about it, as far as Marvel goes at this point, uh, the X-Men first film had only been out about a year or two prior to this film. 
And before that, uh, Blade was really the only other MC, oh, not MC, but Marvel film. But it wasn't on the level of like an X Men or Spider Man. And uh, so to have, you know, to go back and rewatch this film, it really is, you know, groundbreaking in one sense with the CGI, with the storytelling, with everything. But also it's just refreshing now to look back at it and see just how different it was uh, and, and different in a good way. I think that, uh, like I said, the MCU is you know, huge and a monolith in uh, movie making and storytelling. Uh, but I, th- I think this film is a good reminder that it's good to have a separate universe, so to speak, uh, where it is just contained in itself and that you just have Spider-Man. And you have the villains that he fights, and you have the the people uh, that he is friends with, or his romantic interest as as an MJ, and just everything is just there. And so I I think that it's cool to have that as in itself. Um, Another thing that really kind of stood out to me as I was watching the film was how time in this film is very fluid like there's a lot of time jumps in the course of this film uh, more so than I had remembered uh, because uh, it starts off they're still in high school their senior year of high school but still they're early on in in their senior year of high school and it jumps all the way until you know almost a year or two later because you see them graduate from high school you see them move into the city which is a funny comment that Mary Jane makes is you know in most instances in most every other iteration uh, of Spider-Man they're technically already in the city they already live in the city so to say they're going into the city was just I remember that comment and it just kind of stood out to me as like you're already in the city you don't need to move into the city I think they meant, I think she meant maybe moving into Manhattan, I guess. I don't know. But like I said, the the time jumps that are in this film and how it progresses so quickly, uh, I had forgotten that. And for an origin story and for it be a two-hour film, uh, the, the time progresses very quickly. And it's... I think that's another thing that almost makes it different from other films, even origin films, because even uh, with a lot of origin films, they don't have as many time jumps as as it feels like with this film. Uh, Now, there are a few exceptions. I think Iron Man uh, is in some ways, it it time jumps a little bit here and there. Uh, But I feel like with this one, there's a lot of time jumps because it just, it progresses so quickly and I don't, I don't know if that's really a negative thing or a positive thing. It was just something that just kind of stood out to me. And, and you can almost tell uh, how much the time differences are, uh, not just because of holidays and things like that that happen, but the fact that you can watch Harry, Harry's hairstyles change throughout the course of the film. I think James Franco went through like three or four different hairstyles uh, through the course of the film, and it it really kind of after a while it just kind of stands out that 
Oh, he's got a different hairstyle. Oh, he's got a different hairstyle. Oh, he's got a different hairstyle. Uh, so that just kind of was another thing that just kind of stood out to me is how much time passes in the film. And another thing too, that was, I was kind of surprised by looking back at it. There's very little blood in this film. And, And when I mean very little blood, there's only two sequences and they're at the end of the film where I noticed any blood. And that was in the end fight between Peter and Norman is that's really the only blood and it's very little. And it's just on the face of Peter uh, as his mask is torn off. And then with uh, Norman in his mouth, uh, when he's, when he just uh, got hit by his, uh, his sled and he's dying there in the, there in the, uh, the the ruins of the building that's really the only time you see blood you don't see blood when peter's bashing in the uh, carjacker that killed uncle ben you see no blood when uncle ben is shot like it, i'd forgotten that death scene there's literally no blood like you the only way that you would know that uh, uncle ben had been shot is because the police told Peter that he had been shot because otherwise it would have just looked like he was just laying there for and and just injured in an unspecified way and so uh, I, that kind of stood out to me in a way because it almost seems like now uh, even in you know PG-13 films there's there's in superhero films there's a lot of blood or, or even more blood than what was here and so that kind of was something that stood out to me a little bit uh, when I was watching the film back here this time. Um, also, Toby, you see a lot of scenes where Toby is crying. Like, I had forgotten how many times uh, he was crying. Like, obviously, there's those gifts and memes that are out there uh, on the Internet of scenes where he's crying. And they're pretty iconic scenes, but even just random scenes that he he's crying because something uh, had happened that had affected him. And so that, that just really stood out to me of like how many times he, uh, Toby Maguire was called upon to cry in this film. And it does, I mean, it, it stands out. It, it means something, but it's just, uh, it was just interesting to see that again. Um, another thing was some of the references in the film. Uh, obviously you had the, uh, Superman reference that uh, Aunt May makes. Uh, there's the Shazam, which I'd forgotten that Peter yells out Shazam when he's trying to get the web uh, to shoot out from his wrist. Uh, that was kind of funny. Uh, I had completely forgotten that there was a Dr. Kirk Connors reference uh, when Peter is talking to Harry and uh, tells Harry that he'd gotten fired from his job because he was late and Kurt and Dr. Connors had fired him completely forgot that there was that reference because I don't think that uh, Connors is referenced in two or three. I have to go back and rewatch it. Those again, but uh, I don't think that Kurt Connors live action doesn't come about until uh, the amazing Spider-Man uh, with Andrew Garfield. And so 
completely forgot this reference. Uh, so it was cool to see that. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting, you know, in light of the MCU, uh, was there's no Tony Stark, obviously. Uh, we don't have Tony Stark until Robert Downey Jr. But I wonder if in 2002 they would have even thought to have used Stark Enterprises as the rival company to Oscorp. Uh, they used Quest instead uh, as the company that was trying to outbid uh, Oscorp for the government contracts. And so it would it would have been interesting and cool if they had used Stark Enterprises. Obviously, in 2002, they didn't think about that because uh, while Tony Stark Iron Man was big in the comic books, there had never been a live-action version. Even the 90s cartoon was not as big as uh, the Spider-Man cartoon. So it wasn't it wouldn't necessarily be a reference that a lot of people would get, but just uh, again, hindsight uh, in looking back at this film, I wonder if that would have been something that they if they thought of or even would have been interested in bringing him into it. Speaking of uh, hindsight and looking back, I really love this version of J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, when I mentioned that this felt like a comic book come to life, I feel like that this version uh, that J.K. Simmons did uh, is the version that I love the most. And don't get me wrong, the MCU version is fine. Uh, it's it's enjoyable. Uh, but I almost feel like that it's more of a reference in real life, more so than it is in the comic books. I feel like this version is very much comic book version with the the snarky comments, the uh, the quips, and the just the, the ludic- ludicrousness of it. Uh, and, and even the haircut is very reminiscent of uh, the comic books. And I feel like that with J.K. Simmons, who I love as an actor, uh, to me, you know, for a lot of people, uh, he is iconic as J. J. Jonah Jameson. For me, uh, I always will remember him as Dr. Emil Skoda of uh, Law & Order fame. Uh, but I definitely treasure him here as Jane o, J. Jonah Jameson and this version to me more so than the MCU version is the one that I would prefer uh, to watch and enjoy just because like I said it feels like he's a comic book character that's come to life here um, and I did notice the Stan Lee cameo very brief uh, he's you know you just see him for a second he reaches and pulls a girl out uh, from trouble uh, during the Unity Festival, which, when you think about it, it's kind of ironic and kind of uh, funny how Oscorp, which is you know a scientific and also a government contracted company that works for defense and weapons and things like that, is putting on a Unity Festival in the middle of New York City. Uh, it, it almost feels like that it would be like the equivalent of Stark Enterprises putting on a Unity Festival uh, in the middle of New York City, and just uh, that that just kind of made me laugh a little bit when I when I heard that again because it's like, oh yeah, it's <laughs> Oscorp was the ones that put on this uh, this event and everything, and um, like I said, I 
I really enjoyed going back and rewatching this film. Uh, like I said, it, it holds up pretty well. There are some dated references. There's a singular wireless sign uh, in the middle of uh, Times Square. There's uh, one instance where Peter makes a phone call at a payphone uh, from the hospital uh, trying to call Mary Jane. Uh, you can tell that's very much a 90s, early 2000s thing that's going on. Um, like I said, the, the CGI, it's dated, but it still holds up pretty well. Uh, but overall, I really enjoyed going back and rewatching this film because it reminded me again of uh, what I loved about Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. It reminded me again of uh, why I love Kirsten Dunst uh, as an actress. Uh, and Willem Dafoe's performance is great. And uh, having you know, seen No Way Home and see how he does in that film and to come back to this version, uh, it's also a great juxtaposition of where Tobey Maguire was uh, in No Way Home and how he treats... Uh, Norman Osborn there as to seeing back here and looking at this version um, it's a it's an interesting juxtaposition and and one other thing that kind of stood out to me as I was watching this film and, and it's something that I wished uh, that I'd seen more of out of Spider-Man 3 uh, was the hint of a darker uh Peter Parker, because there were several instances in this film where you got dark Peter Parker, uh, none more so than obviously after the wrestling match and getting stiffed by the promoter, uh, letting the, the robber go free. And then, then the robber, uh, stops the, uh, you know, stops uncle Ben carjacks him, shoots him and, and, and gets away. But that, the whole sequence there between, the Peter and the promoter and then Peter with the, the carjacker, just the, the tone and the darkness there. Cause there was, there was a little bit of darkness there. I wish that that had been translated more into Spider-Man three, uh, more so than what was there. Uh, Cause I feel like with Spider-Man three, there was more of the emo aspect of it. Uh, whereas I think if it had lent more to, what was portrayed in this version, I think would have had a lot more uh, gravitas and a lot more depth. Uh, but that was just something that kind of stood out to me too uh, in this film. But overall, it was great to go back and watch this film. I loved it. Uh, and like I said, while Spider-Man 2 is probably my favorite Spider-Man film of all time, uh, this one is right up there. And so it was great to rewatch this one again. Uh, and so, I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, the original Spider-Man. What do you think uh, of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man? What do you think of Kirsten Dunst, MJ, uh, and the rest of the cast here? Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this film or any film that you've been checking out of late or just some of your favorite films. Uh, you can always let me know anytime your thoughts by email, screennerdspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, or you can always follow on Twitter at Screen Nerds Pod uh, and tweet your thoughts on 
Spider-Man or any film that you've been checking out. Uh, and like I said earlier, if you uh, get an opportunity, please rate and review and subscribe to the podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. would really appreciate uh, subscribing, rate, reviewing, five-star if you think we deserve it, uh, a written review, and, and, and sharing the podcast. Uh, because as I always like to say, uh, I want this to be a community where we get to celebrate uh, the movies and the TV shows that we love. Uh, there's so much out there um, to to celebrate and to share, uh, and there's things that we enjoy, and it's and it's good to talk about the things that we enjoy uh, and share those with others. Uh, and so, definitely want this to be a community for that. Uh, so again, thanks for joining me for this rescreen episode of Spider Man. My name's Michael Burgett, and we will catch you on the next episode. Yeah.